Welcome to Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone online. Um, Just want to start with a question. Do you feel right now that you are capturing glimpses of God or do you feel like you're seeing him in full? That's great. (laughs) I really believe that I don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do today, but I believe with 100% confidence that there is mountains that he wants to move today, that there are bodies that he wants to heal, and that every single one of us can leave here on fire for the Lord. Because we are coming here saying, Lord, we are hungry for you. Feed us. And I believe that he will. So let's open our hearts and minds because I don't know what he's gotten for, but I know for a fact every single one of us can leave this space completely different than when we walked in, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, so we're going to be talking about love and doubts. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to keep those mutually exclusive Um, Maybe you feel the same way as well. If you are a parent, you love your child, your child loves you, so you have no doubt that when you ask them to do something, they're going to do it. Yeah, no, that's a dream, right? Um, (laughs) I love Watford FC, and so I go into every match having no doubt that they're going to smash it, and they're not going to cause me stress and anxiety. It's going to be totally fine. That's not how it works out. We like to keep love and doubt separate from one another, but I feel like the Lord is encouraging us in today is that to have authentic relationships, we don't need to seek to remove that tension, but to allow God to move through it. So we're going to look at love and doubt, particularly through the relationship of John the Baptist and Jesus. Now, John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin once removed, (laughs) basically, John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth, is cousins with Jesus' mom, Mary. I think that makes them cousins, but I'm sure there's an official term. Um, So they were born within six months of each other. Um, When Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. John reacted in the womb. So these um, have family connections between John and Jesus. And what I want to do is I want us to look at John the Baptist's life, his relationship with Jesus, and allow the Holy Spirit to use it to speak to us about our relationship with God and with one another. And I believe it's going to be really powerful. So we're going to do some gospel hopping, um, basically because every gospel talks about John the Baptist, but they don't do it in the same way. So to build a chronological timeline of John's life, we're going to jump in and out of the different gospels so that we can journey with John as he journeys with Jesus. So you guys ready for that? (laughs) All right, so we're going to start in Luke 1. And to give you some context here, when we start in Luke 1, Elizabeth and Zachariah, John the Baptist's parents, um, were quite old in age, and Elizabeth was unable to conceive a child. So Zachariah went to the temple and prayed to God and asked for the blessing of a child. And as he was praying, an angel approached him. And we're going to read from verse 13. The angel's response says, The angel said, Don't be afraid, Zachariah. 
Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to their gods. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready and prepare a people for the Lord. So before John was even a twinkle in his parents' eye, he had this purpose and prophecy put upon him. And we see that reaffirmed by Zechariah when his son is born. In verses 76 to 80, we see him cry out and declare and reaffirm these truths about his son. So John the Baptist is born into this purpose, making the way for the coming Messiah, what a job. So he's born with that purpose upon him. And if we skip to Luke 3, we see him as he enters into his ministry as an adult. In verse 2, it says, During the high priesthood of Ananias and Caphias, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, you children of snakes, what an opener. Who warns you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit and shows that you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowd asked him, what then should we do? He answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none. Whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, what about us? What should we do? He answered, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled with expectation and everyone wondered whether John might be the Messiah. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out the threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. So John, even before he interacted with Jesus, was teaching the heart of God. And what this tells us about John's character is that he loved the Lord, that he believed not only in what was spoken over him, but the God who spoke it. And it's powerful to see him teach things that we later hear Christ teach as well. And if anything, it shows us the beauty of their closeness to the Father's heart. So John is teaching these, he gains disciples, and something else that's important here is that every time John is questioned, are you the Messiah? 
Surely, you're baptizing people. You know what you're talking about. You must be the Messiah. He always points to Christ. He didn't know who he was pointing to, but he always pointed to the one that was going to come after him, to the one to which he was preparing the way. Now, we're going to go to his first interaction with Jesus. So he's been doing this ministry, has disciples, he's been baptizing people. And I think it's really important here to notice that he talks about baptism in a different way that he does than Jesus does. He says, to show that you want to be forgiven for your sins, to show the Lord that your heart is willing and ready. He's not claiming to forgive sins or do that himself. He's saying, do this as an act of obedience to show your desire. So we're gonna jump to Matthew 3 to read about the baptism of Jesus. So starting at verse 13, it says, at that time, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River so that John would baptize him. John tried to stop him and said, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me? Jesus answered, allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water. Heaven was open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. So John gets to baptize the Jesus. He gets to place his hands upon the one that he's been working his whole life to prepare for, the one he's been proclaiming the future of his people for, and baptize him. And then he hears and sees the presence of God, how powerful that moment is. And you hear him give testimony to this in 1 John as well. So after he's baptized Jesus, he speaks to God's people and says this, John the Baptist, This is John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? John confessed. He didn't deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? John said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? John answered, no. They asked, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness, make the Lord's path straight, just as the prophet Isaiah said. Those who sent by the Pharisees asked, why do you baptize if you aren't the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, I baptize with water. Someone greater stands among you whom you don't recognize. He comes after me, but I'm not worthy to untie his sandal straps. This encounter took place across the Jordan in Bethany where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one whom I have said. He comes after me is really greater than me because he existed before me. Even I didn't recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be known to Israel. John testified, I saw the Spirit come like a dove from heaven and it rested on him. Even I didn't recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit coming down and resting is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this one is God's Son. That is so powerful. Here we see John recognizing, but John the Baptist recognizing Jesus with titles that hadn't yet been spoken about him. It's mind-blowing. He says, this is the Lamb of God who has come to forgive the world's sins. That is the first utterance of that. 
Then he says, not only this is God's son, but he knows more than me because he was here before me. And as we know from John's gospel, it says he is the light of the world. He was in the beginning. So John's capturing who Jesus is in a full way. He's understanding who the person, the Christ is, and he's telling publicly to anyone who would listen, don't look at me. He's who we've been waiting for. Here he is. And we know from Luke 3 that John continues his work of baptism and teaching to the point that he is imprisoned by the king for speaking out against him sleeping with his sister-in-law. And then we find John in Luke 7, in prison, and he asks something really important of Jesus. Luke 7, starting in verse 18, he says, John's disciples informed him all about these things, the miracles Jesus was performing. John called two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord. They were to ask him, are you the one who is coming or should we look for someone else? When they reached Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you. He asks, are you the one who is coming or should we look for someone else? Right then, Jesus healed many of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to a number of blind people. Then he returned to John's disciples. Go report to John what you have seen and heard. Those who were blind are able to see. Those who were crippled now walk. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who were deaf now hear. Those who were dead are raised up. And good news is preached to the poor. Happy is anyone who doesn't stumble along the way because of me. After John's messengers were gone, Jesus spoke to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A stalk blowing in the winds? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in refined clothes? Look. Those who dress in fashionable clothes and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He is the one of whom it is written, Look, I'm sending a messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you that no greater human being has ever been born than John, yet whoever is least in God's kingdom is greater than he. Everyone who heard this, including the tax collectors, acknowledged God's justice because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and legal experts rejected God's will for them themselves because they hadn't been baptized by John. Are you the one we've been looking for, or should we look somewhere else? What a question. And it's so hard to read that and not get mad at John and be like, you were there. You were born for, you had one job. You had one job, John. You were born to proclaim the coming way of the Messiah. You baptized Jesus. You called him the son of God, the one you've been waiting for. And now, now you doubt him? I thought you loved him. But the thing is, is that as John sat in prison, and looked at Jesus through his bars, suddenly he didn't look like the Messiah he was expecting anymore. The bars of his cell created doubts that changed his perspective, and the glimpse that he was getting didn't match up to the fullness he was expecting. And I think if we are honest with ourselves today, we have all been in that position We all have prisons that we're in, whether it's overwhelming circumstances. It could just be the stress of day-to-day life that makes the walls feel like they're closing in on you. It could be unanswered prayers, broken expectations, physical pain you deal with on a regular basis. And when we look through the bars, suddenly we start asking, 
God, are you, are you my provider or should I fix this myself? Are you really good or is what the world says about you, not caring, not being present, really true? Are you going to make me feel better or should I look to that? We ask God, are you the one or should we look for someone else a lot, a lot? But the amazing thing is, is that if this is you, if this is something you've asked before, you feel that you're asking this morning, we receive the same response Jesus gave John the Baptist. And the first thing Jesus did when John asked this question was that he said, John, look at what I've done. He could have gone on a rampage. What do you mean am I the one? You, you called me this. What are you talking about? Haven't, haven't you heard what they speak of me in the hills? What are you, are you can't get any news down there? What's going on? But actually what he says is, remember and look at what I've done. Look at the people I have healed. Look at the poor that I have helped. Look at the work of my hands, and that will answer that question for you. I am still the one. And what this means for us today is that when we find ourselves looking through bars, craning our necks to get a glimpse of the God that we once knew in full, that we feel is now not as we expected, when doubt has stolen what we feel is our faith, we remember, we look at the work of God's hands, and we hold on to two important things. First thing we hold on to is scripture. What Jesus is describing for John's disciples to go back and tell him, he's saying, look at the people I've healed. Look at the blind that I'll see. He's actually quoting from a passage in Isaiah, which ends with, and I will set the captives free. So he's not saying it, but he's speaking directly to John's circumstances. So we hold on to scripture. We recognize that this is just not a book that just makes us feel good, that we should open on Sundays, but this is living and breathing. And that when we feel crushed, this says, you will be crushed but not destroyed. When we feel alone, this says, I am always with you, says the Lord your God. And when we are persecuted, this says, I will fear no man. I will fear no thing on this earth because God is victorious. So we hold on to this when what we see doesn't line up with what we expect, when doubt creeps in, and we remember, we look at the work of God in our own lives. I um, went to visit my family in Texas last year, uh, last January, and I was having a conversation with a family member of mine. It's one of the people I love the most in this world. I would do anything for. And he asked me, we were talking about faith, He's figuring out his own faith. And he asked me, Steph, how have you had such strong faith with everything we've been through, everything our family has been through? And I felt like such a fraud. <laughs> and I wanted to laugh. <laughs> I don't have strong faith. I've barely made it. Do you know the number of times I've cried? Do you know the number of times I've said some very nice words to God? The number of times I've sat at a crossroad and said, well, this is it. Prove it, because if not, there's no point in any of this. The amount of times that I have felt myself captured by doubt. But as I was feeling that, the Lord reminded me, but there is one thing you do. When doubt comes in, so you hold on to those moments that you know without a shadow of a doubt was me. 
And that's what I do. Every time, I have had so many doubts, so many breakdowns, so many nights crying out to God, and a lot of which I didn't get answers to, but I don't look to grab hold of those answers. What I do is I make myself remember to look at what the hands of God has done in my life. When I was saved, that wasn't me. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't want it. He found me. I, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I was given a word for someone I had never met in my life that brought them to tears because it was exactly what they needed to hear. That wasn't me. That was God. The first time I stepped foot on UK soil is because I was in the middle of a church service during worship and the words Northern Ireland came to mind. And I know that wasn't me because I didn't know there was a Northern Ireland because after World War II, US education systems don't talk about you guys. So I didn't know what happened. I'm sorry. That wasn't me. So I hold on, I cling on to them like a piece of refuge in a storm and I say, this is who God is. I know you are real because of this moment. That is irrefutable. And that's what Jesus is encouraging not only John, but us today to do. What are those moments for you? And right now, where you're at, whatever glimpse of God you're getting that you feel is not enough, how can you take hold of that? Look at the work of his hands and allow that to set you free. The second thing that Jesus did in his response to John is that he loved him. In verses 27 to 28, he doesn't condemn John. He doesn't say, how dare you? He affirms his love for God and his ministry. Jesus doesn't let a moment of doubt erase a life of faith. And the same is true for us today. God knows every doubt you've ever had, and he still loves you. And can I say this truth with love? This is going to sound harsh, but I'm saying it because I, I do love you guys. If you think God is going to be offended because you ask him, why is this happening? Or will love you less because you hurt at your life circumstances, he is too small. Because God is so big that he sent his only son to die for a world that would reject him over and over and over again. That's how big God is. God is so big that he sees all of us collectively in this room, the worst things we have ever done, said, and thought. And that doesn't change a single thing for him. Do not box God in. Let him be big enough to take your wives. If he's scared of that... He's not really God. We can have confidence in what Roman 8 tells us, which is there is no condemnation in Christ and that nothing, nothing can change the love that God has for us. Nothing on this earth, nothing in heaven and hell. So let's live in confidence that when we come to Jesus with our doubts, we will receive the same love, the same response. And can I also encourage you that when you accept that love, that is where you live. It's easy to hold on to doubts and questions so much because we're just not going to get answers. But can I put to us that, that that isn't really receiving God's love. It's not receiving his comfort, his peace, his hope that I may not understand this, but I know who he is. So let's have confidence and rejoice in a God who is bigger and loves unlimited, even more than all our doubts. Now, what does this mean for our relationships to one another? I think the first thing this tells us, 
especially when we look at Jesus' response to John in love, is that we should carry grace instead of cut ties. This world tells us, if you doubt your partner, your husband, your wife, get divorced. You don't need to be in that. That's not necessary. If your boss doubts you, well, this clearly isn't the place for you, so leave. If you doubt yourself, count yourself out. Cut yourself down because you're clearly not good enough. But what this word is telling us, the way that Jesus loves John and his doubts, is that there is grace. We're going to let each other down. I hate more than nothing else in this world. I hate letting down the people I love. It physically pains me. It's something I worry about frequently because I love people and I don't want to let them down. I don't want to hurt them. But the truth is, is that we will doubt one another. We will let each other down and we will hurt each other. That's just the way it is. So I know that it hurts to be doubted, to have doubts for those that you care about, those that you love. But we have to remember and hold to the truth that we are complete in Christ. But like there might be someone here today, either in the room or online, who doubt after doubt has been placed on you, just making you feel not good enough for anything. Maybe it's in one particular relationship. Maybe it's in a workplace. Maybe it's in your family. But it's just piling on. And I feel like the Lord is saying to you, I know it hurts. I know it hurts. But you are complete in me. You don't have to be all things to all people. You don't have to know how to have a perfect relationship with all those in your lives. You are complete in me. So let's hold on to that truth and remember that. We need to take this hurt, our doubts in one another, to the cross and receive what it means to be complete in Christ. The second thing that we learn about our relationships to one another is what we see in John's friends. Oh, so beautiful. John can't get out of prison, but he is suffering with these doubts. They're heavy for him. He wants to know. I mean, his whole life has been building to this point. Did he get it wrong? I can't imagine what he's feeling. And what do his friends do? They take his doubts and they carry them to Jesus. We need to be a people. We need to be a church family. We need to be Christ followers who take people's doubts to the feet of Jesus, who aren't afraid to reach out that hand that's stretched out through prison bars, hold it and say, I am here with you. And then to take that, not for us to be the solution, but to bring it to Christ, to allow him to be the solution for those who feel trapped. In church, we, like, we don't like prisons. We like to build pedestals <laughs> because pedestals are nice because pedestals mean that I can build a faith that is so unshakable, so untouchable, so strong that life just passes me by. Everything goes wrong and it doesn't hurt me. I don't question. I don't pause and notice it even because my faith is so powerful But if that's what we're building, we've got it all wrong. Not only does it make it all about me and how good I can be, how strong my faith can be, which is something that John never exhibited his whole life. He always pointed to Christ. He never pointed to himself. But it sets us up to fail because it's not authentic. Every person you set on a pedestal will fail because they're human. 
We have to stop building pedestals and we have to start visiting prisons. We like to build pedestals because it is way more comfortable to look up to someone on a pedestal than it is to visit someone in prison, than to admit that we are in one ourselves. But I feel that that is a word for our church family today, that we have to be a people who meet each other in prison and carry each other's doubts to Jesus when they can't. Now, if you feel like you're in a great place with God, I'm not saying put yourself in prison. (laughs) Build yourself some bars so that you see God differently. That's great. I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. But when was the last time that you went to visit someone you knew who was? Maybe that's a literal visit. Maybe that's praying for someone. Maybe that's simply taking the time on a Sunday to really ask someone how they're doing. And instead of rushing off to the next thing saying, I see your hand reaching through the bars, I'm going to grab it. And right now you and I are going to take this to Jesus. We're going to pray for this together. I'm not going to let you sit and stew with it on your own. Let's be a people who visit prisons rather than build pedestals. Are you the one or should we look for someone else? Whatever the question is, Jesus is always the answer. That's not a cop-out. That's the truth. That's the truth. Whatever you're asking God, are, are you the one, God, or should I look somewhere else? The answer is always the cross. It's always Jesus. It's always right here. And I just wonder if there's someone here who's, who maybe doesn't personally know Jesus and you're hearing all this and you're thinking, or even looking around the room and just thinking, are you, are you really God what everyone here says you are? Do you really love me? Are you really as powerful? Can you really heal me? Or should I look for something else? And I just feel that the Lord has a word for you today, which is Jesus is all you've been looking for. Every cry of your heart, every desire, every dream, he is the answer to every question. Let him be the answer today. Not going to tell you you won't have more questions, (laughs) because you will. But he will be the answer to every question you have had or will have. Hmm. In a moment, we're going to take some time to pray and reflect. And we're just going to let the Holy Spirit lead in this. And I want to encourage you, whatever it is that has stood out to you, whether you yourself feel that you're looking through bars of, of doubt and not able to see the God that you expect to see, whether you're carrying the weight and pain of doubts that have been put upon you or that you have for someone that you love, or you just need to grab hold of, of what Christ has done in your life and remember again, And let that be what you look at rather than what's around you. We're going to take time to do that. So I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up and we're just going to just give space to the Holy Spirit to do what he does best and work in our hearts. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that that you can speak to us through words written so long ago, lives lived so long ago. And I just want to pray now, Holy Spirit, for anyone who's feeling imprisoned, 
I do pray for breakthrough. I do pray that you would break them free. But most importantly, I pray, Jesus, that you would meet them there as you met John. That you would remind them, no matter how far back they have to go, of of times where you have moved in their life in a way that there leaves no question as to what that was but you and your love. But I pray for anyone who needs to be affirmed that they are complete in Christ, that any moment of doubt will not erase their life of faith, that you would encourage them now, Holy Spirit. And for those of us carrying hurts, Lord, of doubts that have been put on us or that we have towards those that we love, give us grace. Put our identity in you, Jesus, not in who we can be or who others can be for us. And heal our hearts, Lord, so that we walk away from here impassioned by you, only seeing your face. Thank you. Come and have your way, Holy Spirit. We give these moments to you. We want to hear from you. Move among us. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or joining us on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. in person and online.